Welcome to Inaudible. My name is Jeremy Wyland, and I'm joined by my co-host, Ryan Masterson. On this podcast, we discuss the weird, beautiful channeled messages found in the archives of organizations like LL Research, Circle R, and others. The archives contain transcripts of messages from allegedly discarnate sources who articulate a philosophy of spiritual evolution. If you would like an audio version of the transcripts, please subscribe to Ryan's other podcast, Living Love and Light, available on all platforms. Ryan and I will try to provide analysis and commentary on the philosophy described in these messages, identifying the common themes, and grappling with the application of this information to our human lives. Thanks for joining us on this journey. Good morning, Ryan. Good morning, my friend. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Good, How are you doing? Good to hear. It's it's early, but I'm glad <laughs> glad to be up chatting with my friend again and getting the day started. Yeah, yeah. You got the coffee. You're ready to roll. I and this time we also uh, didn't neglect to do a little meditation beforehand, which always helps. That's true. Though whenever I meditate this early in the morning, I'm right on the cusp of falling back to sleep, I found. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I was just going to congratulate you for <laughs> coming out of that meditation bright and chipper. Because <laughs> it's, it's uber early for you. Mm, mm, but yeah, it's nice. It's, um, it's, uh, I feel like it's a good way to start the day, though. Yeah. It is. I uh, I was thinking the same thing because I'm going to be playing a gig later on this afternoon. And I'm like, this is a great way to get the creative juices flowing. Nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah. That should be fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's uh, the closest thing that I found to channeling is trying to play improvisational music, you know? Is this for Element 115? No, this is uh, the Spiral Light Band, which is a, a group that I joined uh, a little bit ago. Okay. Uh, so I'm catching up on their whole repertoire of original material. Nice. And, uh, you know, just trying to hold my own. So far, sure. so good. Nice. <laughs> Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Well, the, the, the purpose uh, of this podcast is going to be uh, picking up where we left off on the spirit complex and the soul which was uh, a session we started last time. Uh, it's January 6th, 1991. And uh, if it's okay, I'll just do a little recap of yeah, where we were. Definitely. And please fill in any gaps that I've, I'm missing. Um, so basically the whole idea was they started out talking about the function of choice and the way that we kind of create ourselves via our choices. Our choices are what make us unique, they say. Mm -hmm. And choice seems to be a very mental thing. And they focus on, you know, uh, the way that the mind in making these choices can either reinforce patterns in our life or work, you know, to detract from the patterns. They, with, our, with the biggest pattern being our polarity. The biggest pattern being the, the core polarity that we are choosing for service to others or service to self. And the little choices we make along the way either detract from that polarity or augment it. Um, and all of this is coloring how we experience our lives, the way that we perceive it and interpret it. Uh, that's what catalysis is on a fundamental level, in my view. It is that interpretive element. It's like, it's how we create the thing about our experiences that makes it so catalytic. So that drives it down into our heart, you know? Um, 
yes, the because complex. Be, Sorry, just yes, because just to, I guess, reiterate or put it, you know, to translate to my own understanding, because each experience we have is unique to us. Even it might be a, a copy of the same experience that everyone else has experienced, but the meaning that it has for us, the turmoil that it gives us, the emotion that it gives us is unique to us. And the choices we make per that scenario is our own. And it it, it comes down to what if, if we feel like we make that decision with our mind, it is still affects the spirit or it's being driven by the spirit for the evolution of the spirit is you know that's i that i guess that's where i start to curve off and wonder okay well i feel like i'm making this choice making these decisions and that's coming from my mind but mm-hmm. underneath that desire to make the right decision there's this feeling and it's like where does that feeling come from is that feeling coming from the spirit from the spirit complex or is that feeling still coming from the mind and it affects the spirit? You know, I guess that's where I'm, that's what came to mind when I was re-listening to our, to our episode last week. Um, You know, well, the, the, the spirit complex is a portion of our totality as entities, as perhaps what you might also say souls, right? The Mm -hmm. idea that, we're not just a mind. We're not just a body and we're not just a spirit. We're all three of these things in constant communication. And, Mm -hmm. and, um, Ra makes a very, very, uh, firm point about, we don't evolve in any one of these things without affecting the others. All of them Mm -hmm. are at work in all of our evolutionary steps forward or backward. So to address your question specifically or your concern specifically, I think one way of looking at it is that it is by getting into our deeper minds that we come closer to contact with the spirit complex and the way that it informs our deep mind and how that those the, the, that information bubbles up, that inspiration bubbles up mm. into uh, our conscious minds. Um, specifically those things that we recognize in our experience and don't filter out. Remember the filtering aspect of mind is one thing they, that they, uh, talk about. And it is this deep inspiration from spirit, I believe is what they're saying that informs what we see in our lives as catalytic mm-hmm. and what passes us by and, and doesn't, and we don't really grab onto. It's not really our lesson. Hmm. Our lesson is what we see. It's what catches the eye. And um, spirit informs this because it is, it partakes of the overall plan in a much more conscious way than, than, than our, than our waking minds do. And certainly our bodies. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. Well, and I like the point about uh, the mind, the body and the spirit really all being one thing, and if I remember correctly, in the raw contact, he states that they state that this experience or this iteration in this galaxy where the mind, body, and spirit are have been separated, mm-hmm. you know, they're called complexes and they're split for a reason where maybe perhaps that wasn't always the case or isn't always the case throughout all of existence. So that that, that um, split 
serves a purpose in the evolution of each entity, not just the spirit from the mind and body, but the mind and the body to feel like there's a disconnect there as well. So, yeah, it is as if the logo eye that direct the evolutionary plan uh, find new ways to introduce articulation and thereby a kind of separation into the unified creation. They're finding different ways. You can, the way that I kind of think of it crudely is they find different ways to slice and dice us up, right? Yeah. (laughs) And it's in these different ways of, of splitting us up that we understand ourselves in unique ways, right? Yes. Great point. Great point. Sorry to uh, derail you there, but no, no, this is great. I, uh, (laughs) I've had a few, I've had a little bit of feedback from listeners on this episode and they enjoyed it, but I think they shared, uh, some of, uh, the concern about the grounding of all of these things that you talked about, because I tend to go Mm. way out into the stratosphere. (laughs) I take things for granted. And you know, it's, it's something I think about a lot on this podcast is when do I need to hold the listener's hand a little bit more? Um, and not expect them to have uh, the degree of, you know, just rote knowledge about this stuff. Not that rote knowledge oh, helps sure. you that much in this philosophy, I think. You well, know? no, but when you're, A, when you're, when you're intelligent, and B, when you've been simmering on an idea for two decades, it's, you're, you're at a different place than people who might be six months, one month, even one year, or like me, I'm now two years into this, I think. Um, yeah, that's, it's a. Uh, it's like night and day, <laughs> but there are things that you see that I don't see. And I think there's things that the listener probably sees that I'm that have passed me by, you know, in the very way that we are talking about mm, what definitely. catches our eye are the things that, 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 that inform that part of our heart that we are exploring in this life. Yeah. So that's, that's why catalyst is such a personal thing. It's so it's so amazing that we can talk about this shared experience at all because it is so intimate and in a lot of ways, lonely Mm. to go Mm. through this life with this filter on you. And, and, and then if you're lucky, maybe come into some sort of recognition and begin to appreciate how limited, but also how creative in that limitation your experience is. So we, so we recognize our limitations. We recognize at some point, oh, wow, the way that our, my way of being human is just one way. And all these other people, as bizarre or as familiar as they seem to me, they're also having completely different way, you know, experiences of being human that yeah. are just as human, that are just as much me. Yeah. And yet they're completely alien to, in, in a lot of ways. But... As uh, I think this podcast bears out, there's also a sense in which that loneliness, that that sense in which we're kind of like chained to our filters mm-hmm. and our and our predispositions and our pre-incarnative planning and our choices, um, that also unites us. We're all dealing with something like that, even if the exact flavor isn't the same, right? Definitely. Definitely. When you really feel like a, an oddball or a weirdo that can't connect and you feel like everyone's so different or you're so different from everyone. I think that's why there's so much force and power when you meet someone or when you come across someone and you feel like you're on the same page and you can relate and you're like, Oh my Lord, (laughs) this person understands me. You know, there's so much power in that. But anyway, um, we could go down this road. (laughs) We could go down this road for a while. I don't want to get too far off track. 
No, it's uh, it, I think it's good to, uh, to, to, to take our time. There's no need to rush this. We, we can, we can record uh, 10 more episodes on this pod on this uh, session. If we really, really want to, we can, I think we can probably give the listener a decent analysis after two. <laughs> Amen. But you know, I'm open to the idea that, you know, we need to try again. <laughs> so I don't know where I cut and you any- off, but. No, no, no. I, I think what we were going was like, okay, so we recognize that spirit works in this very subtle way. Mm-hmm. It kind of comes in, it comes in like radon from below, right? Oh, it just fine. creeps in and it colors everything, but not quite as sinisterly, no. right? <laughs> <laughs> but I just have these, I, I, I just these, these models come to mind of like understanding that our access to spirit our access to the spirit complex is not something that we have normally the ability to turn on and off. It's something that more happens to us. I think a lot of the spirit archetypes in the Tarot cycle bear this out, that it is very much outside of our direct purview. And that's how it functions best in third density incarnative life, perhaps, because our job is is to go through the coarser and denser aspects of experience with spirit kind of something, this X factor over to the side. And as we learn more about the way that this world reflects ourselves back to each other, we learn more about what we're missing, what, what, what we're not getting and what we are getting the plan of spirit, the way that spirit makes us uh, unique aspects of the creator becomes more and more into view. And as we discipline ourselves, we get more and more of an ability to work with the spirit complex increasingly directly. Although I don't know if we ever get completely there. We use things like ritual. We use things like uh, affirmations and telling ourselves, right? We, we, we form these beliefs. All of these things are just thought complexes, right? They're ways that we use our mind to work with this ineffable spirit. And a lot of what I think coming into adepthood is about is learning how to make ourselves more available so that, you know, maybe spirit isn't always directly accessible to us, but we can be able to accept it when it is, right? Mm-hmm. Those times when it is mm-hmm. uh, available to us. Mm-hmm. And being aware and prepared for that mm-hmm. is, is, is the task. And one of the ways that they uh, suggest that we become aware of it and work with it is in meditation. Um, of to course. Recap, yeah, to recap that, um, that part. Um, so they talk about uh, the mind will endlessly inform one. This is Kuo. The body endlessly informs one. And the spirit lies fallow. To request an end to incoming data seems a simple enough thing to do. This is the nature of meditation, the nature of contemplation, to remove oneself from the stage of manifestation that one may rest and seek its own self within. Learning is done in silence, especially silence potentiated with pain. Thus, as this instrument has said this evening, pain is to be recognized and respected for the great ally to learning that it is. And I'm going to continue. You may deliver yourself into suffering if you wish and say that you suffer in order to learn. This is a distortion, which is subjectively true to many. 
You may also say that you maximize your opportunities to learn in order to, sorry, you may also say that you maximize your opportunities to learn in order to learn. This is another way of saying precisely the same thing. Thusly, you may have pain, greeted like the sister or brother that it truly is. Welcome it with respect into your life. Treat it as an honored guest. And be free of any suffering. Or you may choose first one and then the other as you desire. The spirit, however, will only inform the intelligence when asked. So... I, I'm going to stop there right at the beginning of a third paragraph. Yes, because there's some good stuff in the previous two. And the one thing that pops out is my my consistent comment that that whenever conflict arises, as discomforting as it is, I always look forward to the post-solution relationship where we have solved that conflict or we've worked through that conflict and now there's a greater level of understanding. It's so stressful and it's so uncomfortable and painful and you feel miserable for a while. But the resolution of that is is an amazing experience. So I like this idea of um, of, of saying welcome. Um, you may have pain, greeted like the sister or brother, that it truly is and they continue you treat it as an honored guest and be free of any suffering so you can have this pain in your life but whether you suffer whether that pain causes suffering that's a different that's a different it's a different issue but the idea of welcoming the pain because when you as they would recommend sit in silence with that pain or that suffering there is learning that can come out of that. And that's what this is all about. Yeah. The key, the key thing I, uh, from my point of view is that the learning is what it's all about and that we understand our, our, our attempts at discipline, our attempts to balance the, the pain that comes into our lives as part and parcel of this learning experience, not as some kind of punishment, not as some kind of uh, chastisement that we are wrong in some way. This is all the way that life is supposed to work. And so we also uh, revisit this idea of suffering and the way that the suffering is a kind of choice. Uh, suffering, they seem to say, is unwelcome pain. That's all it is. Yeah. Hmm. We all know people who have experienced immense amounts of pain who still have a chipper and uh, positive attitude. Why is that? Yeah. Well, what immediately comes to mind is whether or not you feel like you're a victim of the circumstance or you're a mm -hmm. victim of the universe or you're that, that victimhood where you don't feel like you're in control and you don't feel like you deserved what you got, you know, the experience that you had. I know just personally, you know. For me, you know, I have felt that way before. I have plenty of people that I know have felt that way. And there tends to be a lot of suffering when you feel like you're a victim there. Whereas when you take a different perspective and you say, well, maybe I'm not a victim, but this event is here for me to learn something. I, take, I don't know if it's a, like almost a more cold view of the world or disassociated or un what's the word not personal um 
I'm not sure if that's the that's the idea I'm going for, but when you kind of remove yourself from that situation and remove yourself from victimhood, uh, I have tended to find that my suffering has been much less uh, since taking that approach. The pain is still there. It still sucks. Yeah. But the, because suffering is more, how would you define it? It's more, it's more emotional, right? It's, it's wallowing. It's to me, it's like almost like wallowing. Yeah. It's the rejection of what you feel. Hmm. The, su- the rejection is what makes it suffering in my understanding. We feel what we feel. Mm-hmm. Feelings are, 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 are something that transcends the complexities that we've been talking about. I think there's, there's, there's an, a, there's a body part of emotion. And this is something mm-hmm. that my um, working group comrade Jade has really impressed on me. And I'm, I appreciate the insight. Emotions are largely, I mean, they have these endocrine and bodily elements to them. Mm-hmm. They, they provoke, I mean, emotions I think are used by animals, even when they're self unselfconscious to trigger impulses. Right. So there's this bodily aspect to feeling there's this mental aspect of feeling. We've talked about the beliefs in the last episode, the beliefs in the way that we sort of use mind constructs to channel and limit and uh, structure this un- incoherent, otherwise incoherent feeling that we have. But this emotion is deep, deep, deep mind stuff in a lot of ways. And so I think it does actually partake of spiritual aspects as well. I think emotions are very close to the archetypal mind. I think they're very close to those core resonances. And it's precisely how unstructured and ineffable and happening to us that they, that, that they uh, occur that makes them so valuable. Hmm. They aren't things that we can simply elide easily hmm. <laughs> through our thought or like doing something different. Uh, there's something that we really have to wrestle with and we can either wrestle with them as an enemy or as a friend, right? We can either wrestle with them as this is, I feel this way and I shouldn't feel this way. That's where the suffering comes from. Hmm. We don't, we don't think that we should feel the way that we feel when we accept the feeling it tend it doesn't make it less painful, but because that pain from a metaphysical point of view is largely about getting our attention, getting our attention to something that we're not looking at, then when we uh, actually pay attention to it, we find that we can come into a relationship with it that doesn't require us to it, like you said, make ourselves a victim of it, to tell ourselves a story in which we're a victim, right? Mm-hmm. We start making all these mental constructs on like why we're feeling this pain. Mm-hmm. And then and then, and then then we start to argue with that why, right? <laughs> yeah. Instead of just feeling it. Sometimes there's pain. Yeah. It's part of what it means to have a body. Yeah. I had another thought, but yeah. I'll, uh, I don't I hate just tan. I hate these no, tangential. No, come on in. I'm, I'm all, otherwise, it's just me talking, man. <laughs> yeah. No, I thought <laughs> no one wants that. I thought that uh, suffering is not just pain. It's pain. It's pain associated with another emotion. I think quite often it's anger, where you have pain mm. and you and you have anger, and therefore then you have blame, whether it be yourself or whether it be someone else. Yes. But it's a. It's a. It's an emotion complex is what it is. It's not one pure emotion that you're tuned into and trying to sort through. It is the amalgam. It is the cornucopia of emotions that that uh, 
accompany, a, you know, some type of happenstance. You're right. There's lots of notes in the chord and the chord yes. is what we actually experience, right? Yes. Great, great analogy. 10 points for you, sir. That's a good one. <laughs> I got it. It's a good I, one. I just got it from raw. I've been reading a lot more raw lately. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes those chords really resonate. Like those intervals are perfect. And, you know, and other times they're pretty dissonant, but Oh, that's a great, that's a great analogy. I love that one. Well, well, I do think that the learning in is done in silence, like they say, and that a lot of what is learned is what each of those notes are, hmm. right? This is how we get down to the deep. This is part of getting down to the deep mind, to getting down to that archetypal level where we are learning as we approach adepthood, how to resonate and be each archetype in the moment. Our emotions are largely, I think, a kind of like really uh, uh, crude <laughs> way of, 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 of bouncing us closer and closer to understanding these, these fundamental notes, these fundamental vibrations, these strings that comprise the, you know, full fretboard <laughs> mm -hmm. of beingness. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, how are we going to think our way to that? Not very well. Yeah. We're going to learn by accepting the pain or whatever feeling it is that we have and letting it shape us mm -hmm. rather than us shaping it through some mental narrative that we tell ourselves or some belief construct that makes it tractable and therefore we can put it aside, right? Yeah. We can put it on the shelf. Maybe it maybe help correct my thinking for a minute because the way I am splitting this, this complex in my head is that we have our mind and body experience whatever it is that we're experiencing and the feelings that we have about said experience are, are essentially, mm, driven by our spirit in the in the essence that our spirit is desiring development and the way it develops is by working through these challenges that are delivered via our mind and body I, you're okay you're not in your head so i'm not crazy this dynamic tension of mind and body that spirit enters into to give like a different orientation to right mm -hmm. So like an animal deals with like challenges of body and maybe sometimes mind, but like it's the spirit and the self-reflective, the self-awareness aspect that takes that whole direction and turns it 90 degrees and says, you know, mm -hmm. this is about something that is more than just your survival any longer or, or having a good incarnative life at, you know, just one life. Yes. This is about learning how to use mind and body to express these deeper principles that transcend all of that. Mm -hmm. And that is a hugely metaphysical, powerful thing that we are learning, coming into consciousness to learn how to do. Mm -hmm. um, so are we going to fight that lesson or are we going to work with it? And we do both, right? Like all of us do both. And it's important to recognize that, you know, I think uh, in another uh, session, Quo says, look, you're not going to come out of third density having figured it all out. Understanding is not of this density, but like uh, maybe you don't appreciate how much understanding is not of this density. Maybe you don't appreciate that like you're not going to 
you're going to, you're not going to heal all the wounds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's going to be work left undone in other words, because this is such a rough way to do learning in third density. It's quick because it's very um, yeah, it's, visceral. Yeah. Yeah. In, in the higher densities, I, I get the sense that it's not as visceral, that it's harder to get the, um, the pushback mm-hmm. and then adapt to it here. The pushback is automatic. It's yeah. perpetual. And so we always have a new opportunity presented to ourselves to make a new choice and to reaffirm or to detract from past choices. We yes. And learning happens, right? Whether or not you are aware Bingo. of the spirit complex per se, you know, a person who is an atheist, for example, or someone who is just completely I don't want to use, well, I'll use the word clueless, and they're only focused on the mind-body aspect, learning is still going to happen. And those lessons still bleed into what you and I would call the spirit, but for them just might be their personality, might be their deeper emotions. Um, But again, what I like about this template that I like to call it is that it articulates this side of things. It articulates the spirit. And it says, here's how this map works. You know, your spirit, you're here to develop the spirit, but we develop that spirit by challenging ourselves uh, and, you know, by challenging ourselves and that those challenges are filtered through our mind and body. And if we can handle those challenges well, our spirit is ready for the next lesson and then the next lesson and that just that continual development that we internally desire. So well said. And it, 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 it I probably should mention more often than I do, because it's a core <laughs> belief of mine uh, that the law of one and this entire philosophy, this entire template, as you said, of understanding ourselves is only that. Mm. <clears throat> it's only a template. It's only a map. The map, as Korzebinski, I think, said, is not the territory. That's great. The territory is what we are all living. That's where we connect with another person. And it's because if we can use this map to explore our territory better, great. But if the map gets in the way, Mm. throw it away. Mm. And this is always what the Confederation says, because, and this is what I see a lot. And this is a lot of what prompted me to start this podcast in the first place is when I see students of the law of one using the map instead of to connect with people who maybe don't have the map connect yes. you should be connecting on the territory i'm sighing i'm sighing and nodding yeah. my head like ah oh, yes this is <laughs> connect on the ter- because the territory is shared the territory of the struggle to get to the open heart is something that everybody can understand along with us on a root visceral fundamental level if we start getting into competing Maps, competing templates, competing terminological systems. That's where you start to really lose it. Yeah. So remember, and it's like, I, I think uh, there's a raw quote where they say, always start with uh, the heart, not with technique. Hmm. Um, and because Don's asking about all these, you know, techniques on how to heal, how to understand the self better. And it's like, that's great. But if you forget what it is you're aiming for and you focus solely on the means for getting there, you can get tied up in things that distract you from the upward spiraling light, which is so abstract and subtle. 
It takes all of all that we have in our souls, all we have in our spirits, minds and bodies just to try to discern a little bit of that upward spiraling light that's moving us through things. Mm -hmm. That real core will, that real core desire that we are seeking not simply to express, but to even recognize. Right. Yeah. It feels like there's an important lesson in there for the spirit. Uh, Yes. (laughs) That's just one more lesson to stack up. Arguing, it's, it, arguing over the over the map versus the territory, because those arguments yeah. happen all the time. And those arguments, hey, and let's be honest, those arguments are part of every spiritual student's yeah. path. Totally. I have had those arguments. I still have those arguments. The difference is, is that I recognize that I'm not going to get anywhere with them. Hmm. <laughs> not anywhere that's satisfying, right? Well, the satisfaction comes from when you actually connect with another person. Yes. And, but I think it's, if you're arguing so that one can get greater perspective and therefore greater understanding sure. or new insights, you know, then that's, that's different than if you're arguing, <laughs> just arguing over, well, my template's better than yours or <laughs> yours is incorrect, yeah. you know. And this might be a really good time to revisit something that was at the beginning of this session that I neglected to bring up, even though I thought it was one of the most important parts of this transcript. Mm. It's way back at the beginning um, where they start to address the question of spirit and its relation. Well, I'll just start. We begin now with your question upon the nature of the spirit complex and its relation to the entity you have called soul. We would begin by asking each to move in consciousness from the cerebral patterns of intellectual knowledge into the open the open heart and the wisdom that lies therein. For that wisdom is deeper. Though conceptual and illogical, rather than the ideation and ratiocination of the conscious mind. For much of the question which you ask is best answered by the wisdom of the heart rather than by strictly logical means. As we depart now and then from logic in our attempts to express concepts not within your vocabulary, we ask you to suspend notice of our illogic and await the sum. For only in sum can substance be seen. We thank you for allowing us the freedom of this process, for the question you have asked is less than easily answered in purely cerebral terms. And I think that these Mm. two paragraphs constitute a very important instruction from the Confederation on how to consume this knowledge, this, this information, and also how to work with it in your own life and with other people. This it's so easy to drop into intellectual knowledge and dealing with ideas in this rational way. And it's very, very helpful to do that. The Confederation never discounts the value of reason, of intellectual thought, of logic. All of these things matter, but they are tools to work with a substance that is much more fundamental and much harder to get our hands around. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that material is the heart the seed of the creator where we are most part of the creator, not in the head, not in all of the, uh, the, 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 the spiritual realms out there, but right in the present moment in the heart is where we connect with this stuff most fundamentally. And it's what's going to really help us connect with other people as well. And I think that this, 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 
this instruction to kind of suspend your disbelief, suspend your ability to knock things down. It doesn't mean don't use it at all. Don't use logic at all. It says, wait for the sum of things to come into view. Because on its own terms, each of these sentences in this session or in any session are going to kind of seem paradoxical. And remember, that's the key to spiritual stuff is that it's paradoxical. Yeah. And that's actually a a great segue into the, the paragraph that we left off when Quo is stating, again, the importance of meditation. And they continue. Yeah, yeah. This whole idea of using the mind and concepts as lenses rather than singular expe- expe- explanations. Uh, we're reaching towards a wider perspective rather than just putting everything in a box. Like this is this is the way that our minds can work too, mm-hmm. not solely in a ratiocinative and you know uh, logical way, mm-hmm. but also in this deeper intuitive way. And learning how to switch one to the other is a big part of our path, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, I like, I'll read the next paragraph. I, I, I love sure. it because it's a great, just a great segue. Quote continues, the spirit, however, will only inform the intelligence when asked. Thusly, each entity has its time of the first and fundamental realization that is appropriate for its rhythm of beingness. And when that time comes, the heart is opened, the body is quiet, and the shuttle is suddenly full of an engulf, an engulf, an effulgent, effulgent. Oh, geez, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the shuttle is suddenly full of an effulgent light, an all-embracing love, and the entity struck is never the same again. This is a natural awakening, but it is all that is natural about awakening. Through the illusion is allowed that first impulse of spirit, but all choices after that first experience, which may be repeated from time to time, are the specific free choice of the entity. No learning comes without desire and persistence. So it's, it's nice. They're tying together. Here, here's your spirit over here. And then they recognize your intelligence, your intelligence or your mind. Your body, your body being quiet. Is your heart open? Is your body quiet? Are you asking your intelligence to help inform the spirit? That's when maybe it's easier for those lessons of the mind and body to start seeping through, you know, via understanding or with understanding into the spirit. And they also uh, talk about this, uh, the aspect of the spirit that I always come back to of uh, what I think is expressed in uh, the potentiator of the spirit to row card, which is the lightning struck tower. That sudden flash of light in the dark that happens to you. And then, so you've, there's something about your life, the way that you're using your mind and body and spirit that has made this opening. Maybe you didn't even know you were doing it, right? But you have a flash of insight. You have a flash of, of, of what's involved in the potential of everything. And you're never the same after that. Mm. Mm-hmm. And then what do you do? You spend the rest of your time trying to get back there. And so you do the discipline of the, of the personality. You do the hard work of understanding, accepting the self and slowly you build 
a way to reach back into that experience. You can bring more and more of it more, more um, consistently into your life, mm-hmm. not on your terms, right? It's not um, that it's the only thing. The only thing that's natural is when it happens to you. Once you start working with it, now you are the agent who's bringing it into manifestation and you are taking responsibility. And that responsibility is not necessarily a light one, right? It's asking for, in many cases, more catalyst. It's asking for quicker learning. It's asking to walk the path with more dedication and with more commitment to the creator's learning Hmm. and your learning as an element of the creator's learning. Hmm. Is it the difference between trying to make things happen and simply allowing things to happen or recognizing what is happening around you and accepting it, going with the flow and just move, moving from event to event? I'm just wondering if there's an important differentiation between that lightning struck tower of something that happens to you versus the things that you manifest, that things that you are responsible. How do I say this? I think what we I think what we get in the lightning struck tower in the natural awakening is our first glimpse that our desire and our will is broader than we have a a conscious understanding of. Mm. And that Mm. intrigues us, inspires us. It literally infuses us with spirit. And we recognize an aspect of ourselves that was once not known. Yes. Now we have something to train our attention on. Now we have something to aspire to. You know, we, uh, my wife and I, we're always trying to find something to do on date night that allows us to, I don't know, have fun, but still be able to watch, you know, the baby sleep. Right. <laughs> so she's, you know, <laughs> so we, uh, you know, we're sorting through Netflix and we started watching uh, Chef's Table and uh, a great show that highlights, it's a one hour show one hour episode that highlights a specific chef in their restaurant and the chef's story, maybe the restaurant story. And we recently watched one about this gal in LA. She's got a restaurant called N Naka and it was a great story, but this lightning struck tower image comes to mind because she had started under a lot of stress. She had started a sushi restaurant in LA and sold it. Um, because she just was not having fun. It was not what she wanted to do. And she was looking for that next thing, that next idea. And I think she had either watched a TV show or read an article about this idea called a, I think it is called a chef's table, where you go to a restaurant and you don't get to pick what you eat. It's whatever the chef wants to cook that day. And maybe it's a, it's a small place, but everyone eats the same seven course, 12, whatever the, the, the small meals are. And just like that, she's like, that's what I'm going to do. She just knew this, I'm going to make whatever I want. It's going to be awesome and people are going to love it. And that to me seems like, well, A, it was a very important event because now she's got a great restaurant in, uh, in, in LA. But for her personally, that was one of those lightning moments of, ah, this is it. And... Those are power. Those are powerful moments. You know, I try to, I try to find, I try to be attuned to that in my, in my day to day life. Do is there any 
strikes of lightning that are happening that are like just clear of this is the direction I should be moving in. I sh- this is the action I should be taking or, or boy, I was really wrong on doing that one over there. Like, you know, I can ha- have some kind of clarity with, with this particular event. Um, so. Yeah. It's like a patience to wait for inspiration and to be ready for it at all to times. To be ready for it. Yes. Right. And like the reason why, uh, you need the natural, in other words, uh, you didn't cause it uh, flash of lightning to come to you is that you are more than just your conscious awareness, right? Mm-hmm. So when you're read, when, when, when spirit says that you're ready, then you get this opening and then yes. you learn to do that, uh, to have that opening more and more on, on terms that you can relate to, but it's never something that you're fully in control of you. And like, to me, the ideal incarnation is one in which we are always open to spirit and we're always ready for its instruction. Yes. Yes. Because I think that, um, you know, uh, the, that it, it, it genuinely is what we're already doing. We already are channeling spirit, but we're doing it in this way where we're like muddying it up and we're like fiddling with it too much because we're not comfortable with the pure spontaneity. Yeah that spirit would actually uh, uh, command us to embrace. I suppose we're trying to refine, refine, continue to refine the spirit. And, um, yeah. 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 And, and to a certain extent, that is our role here. Yeah. Oh, certainly. <laughs> uh, to, to, for it to be a uh, joint project to not simply the spirit's project, but also not simply the personality's project. Either, yeah. Right. Yeah. Would you like to continue? Yep. I just remember where we left off. Now let us turn from consideration of the spirit complex to the consideration of the soul. The term mind-body-spirit complex is an approximation of description of the nature of the entity without distortion. That is, distorted only in the balanced manner that lies behind illusory distortions. The entity which you are, which you may call the soul, is first, last, and always to be understood as consciousness itself and as love. Let us consider the phrase, I am in love with you. Consciousness is I am. To define it beyond that is to distort it. The nature of this consciousness, this I am, is love, and the nature of all other entities in your density, and in any density, is love manifesting through rotations of light. Thusly, all may say at all times, in any relationship whatsoever, I am in love with you. Let us pause and experience together the I am of us all. And this is, this is, this is the Carla Rookert experience right here. I like that they actually pause. <laughs> She's very good at... Uh, she does not quibble with things that might make a channel otherwise feel awkward. Hmm. Um, to, to, to pause is often a time for a channel to wonder whether they're still on the bead, whether they're still, whether they're still receiving what they think they're receiving. So Carla's a master channel at this point in 1991. And, uh, she knows how she knows when to stop. She knows when to let the experience, uh, sort of, uh, percolate. Mm. And also just to, uh, deal with the 
actual content here, um, we get an understanding of what the Confederation considers the soul. It is this uh, idea of our mind-body-spirit complexes understood without distortion, understood as a totality, as balanced, and that what whatever illusory distortions are manifesting in our lives, they are not the complete picture of who we are. And how much that that uh, entity who we are is love itself and how much consciousness is both us and consciousness is this love. The consciousness is uh, the creator is this, this, this binding force that keeps driving us forward, that keeps uh, calling to our hearts, that creates everything and the experience of everything. Agreed. <laughs> glad, glad, glad we can put that to rest. <laughs> I, I, I think it's, I think it's interesting that they, because they, like I said in the last episode, they don't actually talk about soul that much, at least as anything other than a vague term to gesture at. Well, the mind, is, body, spirit is complex. soul because soul is a soul is a tool of a Christian template. Is it not? If we're talking about the, yeah, I'm talking about the, the confederation template, the map. So, soul is a term that is used in a different, it's a different tool in a different map. Yeah. In, in, in normal parlance, we are a body that is uh, inhabited by a soul, right? Mm-hmm. And then that we can lose our soul. We can lose our uh, more divine nature, Right. Uh, by acting out of accord with this soul. Mm. The soul is the thing that carries on after our body dies mm-hmm. and all that. Mm-hmm. So it, you can see this as like maybe like a much more simplified map than what we try to work with on this podcast. Mm-hmm. But it's it's still a map and it still points at something real. Sure. Sure. And, but you, you can see kind of a corollary between the spirit and this, the soul or the spirit complex and the soul. Cause then, you know, on one side you're splitting the mind, you're splitting the, the body and the soul or the mind. And, and most people treat their bodies and minds kind of as one unified thing. You know, it's just all kind of intertwined. So body and soul split. Um, and then on, on, in, in the confederation, you have the mind, body, spirit, which are all separate, but one in that paradoxical Frame of, frame well, don't of mind. a lot of people think of their soul as their true personality? Yes, I mean, again, it's a, it's a, it's still a good map because you can the way the reason why you might feel guilt is because your actions were different than who you really are, and who is that real you? Well, some people yeah. say it's that, it's that soul, it's that, it's the deepest me, it, you know, it's 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 the part of me that's a ghost, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess in, yeah, but that literally is how people use it. <laughs> this is true. I think that's true. But what is that ghost? You know, yeah, exactly. what is that ghost? It's that large, it's that, that part of you that is part of God. Right. Right. You know, and, and, and so the, the, the only, you know, one of the benefits of this map that we talk about on this podcast is just, what if we could understand ourselves instead of like soul and body, if we could instead just understand ourselves as seven different parts, right? Oh, sure. Or three different parts, 
like these di- like it's just like it's kind of like uh comparing a con a christian concept of soul and body to like the psychological map right mm-hmm. in all of these different ways that we understand the psyche yeah oh sure the, the, that's another map and it also has a lot of benefit and utility sure and it also has its blind spots totally totally no maps as carl jung pointed out quite a bit yeah, no maps are complete <laughs> right yeah all right so we're all love we're all consciousness we get it jeremy all right um <laughs> Moving on, this entity that you are is subjectively experienced by yourself through illusion, while the integrity of your beingness is always preserved in mystery. You cannot analyze a mystery that has no answer. Thus, we move in a circle, coming again to our first point. To analyze a unique entity is to do the impossible, for both that which we call love, or logos, or the creator— which is a portion of you and the portion of you that is unique are mysteries now and forever. It is a matter of allowing that mystery to be a mystery that is most helpful within the incarnational experience. It is acceptable to be unknown to the self in a final way. If one realizes that that is the situation and will be the situation until the allowing of consciousness becomes such that one no longer desires to know about consciousness but only to be consciousness at that point, which we have not yet reached. There is the returning to the infinite one and the creation moves from creation to creation as entities are sent out and then returned. That manifestation may blaze in its appropriateness with the, within the infinity of intelligence. Who boy, let's go back and really (laughs) tease that out. But I think there's a lot of recapitulation here. Yes, as they say. But the first sentence is just gold. This entity that you are is subjectively experienced by yourself through illusion. While the integrity of your beingness is always preserved in mystery. Yeah. Because I think that's what they mean by soul. That part of you that's always in mystery. Yes. But it's still you. You still have access to it. Yes. It's just not... You're not looking directly at it. Yes. And, but I love the, the idea that you, you are subjectively experiencing yourself, but that subjectively is the key word there because the right. way that I, the way that I experience my wife's emotions are different mm-hmm. than the way she experiences her emotions, you know, and it's like, who is right? You know, well, is anyone right? Well, no, because everyone has a subjective view on you know, what their experience is. Um, So that line, I just, I love that little reiteration. Yeah. And it's specifically there where uh, the mental rational analysis is going to break down. You are not going to be able to analyze somebody else, Mm -hmm. let alone very much yourself. Uh, Well, you can analyze yourself. You just need to understand that that analysis only goes so far. You can analyze somebody else, but to what end? Yes, and you're analyzing them through your own filter, through right. your own subjective experience, and that doesn't always work out well. <laughs> and so it's good to know that we have this, what they call ratiocinative or whatever, I'm probably mispronouncing it, but um, we have this rational, analytical way of working with 
our mind, body, spirits and other mind, body, spirits. But we also have this more intuitive way, this way that allows for uh, the equation to be in balance, that allows for the mystery to pervade and for the not knowing to be respected, right? Yes. And you can see the, you can see the point of all this. You can see the, if the whole goal is to be learning the lessons of love, boy, this is a great, this is a great place to do that where everyone has their own subjective experiences, not just of themselves, but of everyone else. <laughs> Our mind, body, spirit are kind of cut, cut in three. <clears throat> and as we said last, as we said last week, you know, where animals and second density have mind and body, but they don't really have connection to the spirit. And now here we are, the next evolution, which we're getting more connected to the spirit. What is the next evolution and how do we get there? It's by learning all the lessons that we have to learn in front of us that all center around love and understanding and maybe being okay with a subjective experience of everyone else and understanding that each person has their own views and subjectivity. Um, but just this, this entire session is the, the more we go through it, just, it just continues to hammer in my own mind, the importance of the lessons of love, the conflict that we deal with, with other people, the lesson revolves around love and understanding, whatever it is, it's love and understanding. Um, so I just keep going back to that which is nice because I don't always go back to that. I'm always like, dude, what's your problem? <laughs> you know, so it's nice to be reminded, oh yeah, these are the lessons I need to learn. Love and understanding, love and understanding. Yep. And those lessons of love and understanding often largely deal with acceptance. Yes. Be the acceptance of that fact that we are unknown to ourselves and that that's where a lot of the pain is going to come from. It's just the simple fact that we're just not going to have direct access to that and that that is okay. And it's not a sign that there's something wrong and um, that what we're going for over the broad expanse of our evolution back to the oneness with the creator is not some uh, conquering of that situation. But when we allow the mystery to more and more like be accepted and, 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 and affirmed, and then at a certain point, that affirming will become a complete identification mm -hmm. with the mystery. And at that point we will have completed our journey back to the creator mm -hmm. in seventh density. Yeah. <laughs> we got a while. <laughs> we got a while. We got a while. Although, you know, listener, you might be a wanderer and you might be far along. You don't even know it. And you're working on some little tiny nuance of balance in this, in this life, you know, Who's to say we can't, we can't really say where we are. All we can do is we can point in the right direction. <laughs> That's yeah. really all we can do. Well, I like if, if we're talking about how complex it is, I like the next paragraph quote continues. Yeah. You are all things. The soul is the universe and the universe, the soul. All that is within you is in fact outside you. And all that is outside you is in fact within you. All things can be known and all things cannot be known. You are living in, you are a living incarnation of paradox and mystery. Does this challenge you? We think not 
For we think that each within this group has become aware that there are infinite concepts which cannot be expressed within your illusion. Yeah, so it's hard. If you're trying to figure it all out, it ain't going to happen. It just ain't going to happen the, this time around. And and I like, I, I just had a, like kind of an insight. Uh, there are infinite concepts which cannot be expressed within your illusion as infinite concepts. They can only be expressed as finite concepts, as a kind of projection into our reality of this much more detailed and multidimensional reality. And that a lot of what opening up the spirit is and doing its will, doing the creator's will, which we learn over time is our will, is figuring out what is the finite way I can express the infinite in this moment in time, at this position in space, at this point in my evolution, what is the way that that infinite can best manifest into the finite? Hmm. That's that's the dance that we're doing. Hmm. And that's why uh, opening up to spirit is so important because that inspiration gives us the ability to more and more be ourselves in incarnation, not because we are becoming infinite in incarnation in some way that everybody, it's not like we're going to start floating around and glowing and having a halo or anything like that. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, It's that we more and more touch into that spiritual aspect of, of, of what's materially and, 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 and concretely occurring to us and recognizing that, that's not where our ground really lies mm-hmm. in incarnation, in the material, in all this stuff that we normally deal with. Our real, real grounding is in spirit. And that ground is constantly changing, which means we have to keep moving and, and finding a new way to bring this why spirit is that, into manifestation. Why is that ground constantly changing? If, if who we are is spirit and spirit is who we are who we are doesn't really change. Right. But we're in two worlds at once. That's, that's the issue. It's a translation. Hmm. Hmm. If we are standing on the man, on the ground of incarnate life, spirit seems random and fluctuating. And a, 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 the, the metaphor that uh, even Ra uses for spirit is that of wind, right? The wind is constantly blowing to and fro. And they, they actually talk about exercises that deal with this aspect of the, 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 the fickleness of the spiritual. It's not, it doesn't, it doesn't subscribe to a schedule. It doesn't conform to a plan. It is completely free in other words. Mm -hmm. And that seems random and chaotic Mm. when you're grounded in this reality. If you can learn, I believe this is just my idea. So take it with a grain of salt. But if you can learn to instead identify with spirit and have that be your ground, then you're going to look completely random and all over the place. Hmm. And so finding a way to have a smooth translation from one kind of experience, the spiritual, this ever changing experience to this more static incarnate experience that's a lot of where the spiritual work is Hmm. we are translation we are transducers of that spiritual energy into more concrete manifestations okay Okay. that's that's kind of my idea got it got it and so i just love that like you know 
translating from infinite concepts into whatever finite concept best best in this limited illusion reflects the infinite nature right mm-hmm. it's like sometimes you can say a word and in a word you can you can describe a universe and other times as i <laughs> frequently experience on this podcast you can talk yourself to death and not get anywhere right <laughs> you can talk a lot and not say much huh yeah. And sometimes, and then, and then you read a raw quote where they just cut right through it and the words are finite, Yeah, but what they gesture at, you recognize, you recognize the infinity of it. It's like, it's, and that's real magic. It reminds me of country music. <laughs> just, it's a good, just it reminds, it reminds me of Garth Brooks. The guy can say so much in, in so little time, you know? Oh, I'm really glad you brought this up because uh, one of the big artists that was a friend of mine, through my uh, initial spiritual awakening was Towns Van Sant. And oh my God, that guy is a poet. He would just pluck the strings of despair and suffering and unhappiness huh. in such a way that was so beautiful for me when I was waking up. And I still, I still love his work, but um, oh man, hmm. he, that I do think that there's something about country music in particular that really reaches in and can touch one part of somebody's soul in a way that brings out the totality in a moment and it's gone yeah. once you try to think about it too much. Yeah. No, it's great. It's a, uh, there's some real skill in being able to tell a story, yeah. you know, like that. Yeah. They, 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 they have a way of working with emotion that can seems to, seems to tap into its unlimited nature. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very strange. And other artists do this too. It's not just country oh, music, sure. of course, but like <laughs> that, that's what I love. That's why I think that like, I've been thinking that real spiritual work, real spiritual agency strikes me as a lot more like art than religion. The more that I, the more that I go forward, it's really about a creativity and a, and a vibrancy to your life. And it's not so much about like, like there is discipline. Yeah. There's discipline in art too. Oh Yes. Oh yes, that's an interesting. It's an interesting idea. Maybe we'll simmer on that the, one. Talk the creativity about that. and curiosity that's required of art seems to be required of spiritual work too. Let's see. Do we want to do this next paragraph? Where's this? Uh, yeah, let's just go ahead. Indeed, as we speak through this instrument, this instrument's main asset, besides its purity, is its craft. For we offer concepts to the conscious channel, which must needs then be given words. And how should we describe by words that which is the soul, except to say that the soul in manifestation is a bonding of love and free will, the third distortion and the second distortion, and process through the densities is choice upon choice upon choice, as free will is first paramount, and all other things but the individual will seem as threats or potential threats. This moving on until the process of evolution of mind, body, and spirit brings each entity to the realization, hard one or one easily, depending upon the incarnation, that the will of the self in its deepest sense is the will of the one infinite creator. And this will often does not make sense. Mm. Just uh, puts a fine point on what we've been saying, yeah. huh? Yeah. So I'll just go ahead and move on because I feel like we already <laughs> covered all this. Um, consequently, the more realized the consciousness within the illusion, the more it may seem that one is a servant with the master. Yet you are the master as well as the servant. All is truly illusion. 
You experience this objectification of the master as you need solidity. Eventually, you shall not need to be solid or three-dimensional in the way that you now see dimensionality and solidity of form. You will be free of needing to solidify pain, pleasure, or any experience. And at that point, you are then free to open the heart, to do the work in consciousness, and to share that work with others as the gift has been given to you. Now, this is worth stopping on. Hmm. But it's a lot of what we've been talking about. This objectification and solidity, the, 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 the concreteness that I talk about is, I think, the same thing as what they're talking about here. We, don't, we won't need all of this in later parts of our evolution. We won't need the, the backboard <laughs> to, to sink a three-pointer. Mm-hmm. We can just sink it straight into the hole, right? Like, but the backboard right now gives us something to, to, to bounce off of. It gives us that limitation allows us to find our creativity within that cons within that context. Right. Mm-hmm. But I wonder, and that it allows us to, to, to realize this consciousness within the constraints of the illusion. And that's where a lot of the creativity that I was just talking about, I think that's really where it's located. Um, this creativity and learning how to be free and open our hearts that creativity yes. to learn what it is to do work in consciousness that we can't really be instructed on it at a certain point. It has to be our creative act. Again, I come back to what is it all for? What is it? You know, what's the reason? What's the purpose? And I wonder if this is all needed, if this solidity that they call it is needed because the only way to well, we're here, we're, we're suffering, we're learning lessons, we're trying to develop spirits or our souls. What is it all for? Is it because we need this solidity that the, the only way to stop suffering is to truly love all and to understand mm-hmm. all? It's like we're not going to get, nobody, will, you'll, you'll never get rid of that pain and suffering. Well, maybe pain, but you'll never get rid of suffering until you're able to love and you're able to forgive, and you're able to understand, or you're able to have that perspective. So I just, I just wonder, you know. Again, just going going back to uh, the purpose of all of this. I'm sure the listener has the same questions in their heart. I have that question too. The only advice that I can possibly offer is the same that the Confederation offers: to let this question and its gnawing nature. Let it work on you. Hmm. Uh, uh, Bounce it around in your head. Meditate on it. Contemplate it. Think about it when you're washing the dishes. Let it sink in and open instead, instead of insisting on it having a finite answer, open up to its infinity and see how it changes and and shimmers in the light of your awareness you know i think Um, i think quo even speaks to this i'm going to skip the next paragraph where uh where they say what is the soul the soul is you well quo continues what have you judged today each judgment has pulled you away from your soul unlike discrimination which is a subjective matter of saying this is mine but this is not a judgment is a matter of this is correct, and this is not. To judge yourself for yourself is to do your work. To judge others for the self is to be a critic. And how shall the critic grasp the nature of the play if it is only an observer? 
Nay, you do not wish to be a critic. You do not wish, though you may think so, to be clever and intelligent and intellectual. You simply need to straighten up the household of your mind, and when it is tidy, to move into the heart. Through love, open the heart, so that without fear you may greet yourself. There's an interesting point here where I'm thinking all these lessons, what are just for? It's like, I'm going to continue suffering until I learn the lessons of love. I'm able, I'm able to love, I'm able to understand, I'm able to forgive. But I love this last sentence, through love, open the heart so that without fear, you may greet yourself. It's almost as if this whole purpose is to not just be so that I don't have to suffer anymore, but there's, there's something about knowing myself some, there's something about knowing something deeper about the nature of who I am and maybe who the creator is when, I'm, when I learn these lessons of love. This is an interesting, yeah. interesting way to end that it, paragraph. Uh, I, I think that the fear that of, of greeting ourselves, of knowing our full and complete nature, has a lot to do with why we judge others. And we externalize that fear into the drama of the other self and the self. Well, to sorry, I, I, I apologize. I, I was just going to say each judgment of others is really a judgment of ourself. You know exactly. That's a that's an unfortunate part of judgment. But it's introducing. But it's intru- But it's like um, it's like with an extra step. <laughs> it's like a, with a step of remove. Yes. That allows us not to fully own it. Yes. Oh, that's perfect. It, and we'll yes. come back to it, right? We'll eventually come back to the fact that that judgment that we leveled towards someone else yeah. is actually a judgment of ourself. Yeah. And that, and probably gives us a nice index point into what it is that we fear that we will find within ourselves. Yes. And I've noticed myself, um, I've noticed myself. How do I say this? Well, for for example, you sent me a good a good article of uh, this one person's critique of of the Joe Rogan podcast, uh, given the hubbub that's come about lately. And right. after you know, I read through it, and as I was reading through it, my I was trying to think intellectually about it. Like, all right, what's this? What's this person writing? You know, is this true? How does this? You know, how do I feel about this? And by the time I got to the end of the article, I was thinking to myself, well, I wonder what this guy's personal issues are. What are his views? What are his? How is this projecting how he feels? You know, but I was no longer trying to judge the content. I was just trying to get some insight into how this the writer was feeling and how the writer views the world. And, but I find myself doing that quite often where it's like, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying to get better. I'm not always successful about removing my opinion of someone else's thoughts and deeds, but instead try to understand how, why, and maybe where that person is coming from, how they view the world. I'm just trying to, you know, I try to gain some insight into maybe how they view the world based on their judgments and their, you know, their actions and their decisions. Absolutely. It's a way of sharing a moral universe with other people who might have different interpretations. Mm. If I say this is correct and this is not in some kind of universal sense, part of what I'm saying is that what's mine is all of this. 
Mm. Oh, yes. Oh, that's a good point, Jeremy. Yeah. And it's not. It's not. <laughs> and not, not at least as far as the personality is concerned. Yeah. What's mine is merely my own lens through which I view catalysis and through, through which I view those things that catch my eye as worthy of attention and maybe working on. And that is completely in a, even in a stoic sense, you think I can work on things that are part of myself. Mm -hmm. I can't do anything about other people directly. And everything I do is at a level of remove that, that disconnect that's disconnected from connecting on that spiritual level where we actually do have where what is because on that deepest spiritual level, what is mine is theirs. Yes. But it's not about correctness. Yes. It's about releasing all of that. And that's hard. That's, that's hard. hard. Especially when you have such that's hard. strong feelings or strong opinions about this. But again, if you take, if you can sit in meditation and try to sit with, oh my gosh, why am I feeling this way? Why am I, why is this really rubbing me the wrong way? Or why am I so aggressive about X or Y? There are, there's so much grist for the mill. There's so much good yep. stuff in there that if you can sort through and you can try to learn those lessons of love and understanding, boy, there's some developmental uh, <laughs> um, potential in there, you know? Yeah. So the more we try to discipline the outer world to our specifications, the more we're going to run into this criticism that disconnects us from the thing that makes it the most personal and therefore the most uh, opportune for learning. Mm -hmm. Um what we and they say like you don't want to just be a critic of other people not really what you want to do is be fully engaged in life and right there at that point where like you feel like your foot is on the ground of life and you are and if it's quaking then so be it and if it's solid then so be it and can you be there for other people while you're doing that too yeah yeah there's, I, it just, this is one of my favorite excerpts of conscious channeling in the entire archive. Cause it really made me understood. It, it really made me understand how to know when I'm judging other people. How do you, when I start how do to you say, know? when, if, if I look at, if I look at say uh, an article that I'm mm -hmm. reading and I think I don't really resonate with that. That's not a final judgment. That's not separating me from somebody else. It's just saying, eh, not for me when I read it and I'm like that MF that is wrong. <laughs> How dare he uh -huh. now I can see that what I found is there's something in me that's worthy of a second look. And yet what do we do? We mobilize that into some like um, interpersonal or, or emotive conflict. Yeah. Uh, and this is related to what we talked about a few episodes ago about mental projection we talked about mental projection into the past or into the future instead of staying on the beat of the mm -hmm. present moment. Mm -hmm. And I think this is also another kind of way that we get out into something that feels less ourselves and therefore able to be judged and criticized and controlled. I mean, there's this duality involved that they mentioned uh, earlier about, um, you know, you might feel like you're the servant and the spirit is the master, but actually you're both right. Mm -hmm. Like, like this, this duality is how we use the concreteness and solidity 
of the, of the manifest material world to work through issues. And then time kind of like mediates this by giving us a progression from one understanding to another through these experiences. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, the duality is just a tool and the unity is the real nature of all. Mm -hmm. Well, there's one and a half paragraphs left. Shall we finish it up? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good little, uh, little, little thing. And I, I actually might go back and, and, and read this one that you skipped too. And I'll just, I'll just merge okay, them together. Sure. Everybody li- listeners, just read, read it yourself and you'll have everything in the right order. <laughs> what is the soul? The soul is you. The soul is the creator and the created an infinite unity given objectification through the use of illusion. May each of you value both the self in its soul nature, its endlessness, its mystery, and its paradox. In the incarnational drama, which offers to you endless opportunity for learning the great lessons of compassion, which may deliver you into a more realized observation of yourself. And then down to the last paragraph. Oh, beings of love, we greet each other in you and you in us. We are consciousness. We are soul. We are one. The rest is illusion. May you love each other and in loving and serving each other, learn the lessons of divinity. For as you love without judgment, without let or stint, so shall you learn your nature. We salute you, souls, all, our own selves, and we encourage you to respect, use, and enjoy the opportunities that will so quickly flee before you. No one, after leaving the incarnation, is ever truly satisfied that it has chewed it all up and used it well. Therefore, may you burn with desire to do this deep work. May you learn your oddities and your gifts. And may you then maximize them through the opportunities that are given to you, moment by moment by moment, remembering always that it is how you perceive the chaos about you that you begin. Hmm. It's great. And that, that's a wrap, folks. Like, I think that really does sum it up in a beautiful way. Yes. I have no further comment. Yep. <laughs> may you burn with desire to do this deep work. That desire is what that spirit connection we've been talking about is all about Mm -hmm. that desire and that will to aspire to greater and greater, uh, unity and to channel that unity into whatever way it's going to look in the separate illusion that that is something that, uh, you are our brothers and sisters in learning. Amen. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, I think that really uh, ties a bow on this episode. Um, I do, I do think. I just want to give the the listener the idea that I do think there's more to be said about this criticism element. There's another um, session that uh, I'm working on doing an episode about, and uh, I was actually having a dialogue with Joseph D'Artes, who's been on our podcast before about whether criticism is service to others or not. And I think that Carla has a opinion that often comes through that all criticism is bad, but I'm, I want to explore this further. So I'm just giving the listener a heads up that we may dive into this topic a little bit more. Um, Cause uh, Joseph and I had different opinions on it. And I'd like to explore mm. that and hopefully you can join along. Interesting. <laughs> 
Oh, yeah. I'd like to be a fly I think on we the should wall. get like another three person uh, podcast going again. Like that, that was a lot that of fun. That was fun. That was fun. I agree. And he has, he has a blue Yeti now. So everybody will be well, mic'd. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, thanks so much once again for getting up and, 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 and slogging through this with me. I, I really appreciate your dedication to this podcast, Ryan. Thank you, man. Always, always love getting up this early to chat. I do. <laughs> And thanks for listening to the podcast. Remember, you can leave us feedback uh, at our website, inaudible.show. There's a contact form uh, available there. We would love to hear from you. Let us know how we're doing. Let us know what you'd like to hear about. We would love that feedback. In the meantime, stay in the love and light.